Keeping your story straight is hard when you're first learning to deceive. <laughs> oh, I remember being a kid. Oh, it was so bad. So, Aaron, you're telling me that you were aiming the BB gun away from the car when you shot the gun? Well, see, the thing is, uh, you know, in reality, I was actually, I pumped the BB gun and I shot at the window and the window didn't break. I was pretty impressed. So I tried it again and shot out the window. But the story was, yeah, I shot into the wind, and then the wind carried the the BB all the way. Boy, I lived with a uh, a messed up conscience as a kid. Uh, ask my parents uh, about the other side of things. But Paul, in our story here, is living with a clean conscience, and he's giving the story of his clean conscience. He's been consistent. He's been authentic. This is the way he has led his life. I don't know that we can say that about much of our, our life. We didn't have a background like Paul. Well, we're going to look into that and talk about our own stories as well. As we get into our text here, Acts chapter 26, 1 through 11, we've got King Agrippa uh, II, and he's kind of interrogating Paul, but really just giving Paul free reign to tell his story. And this is how it goes. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. That, that stretched out his hand is the rhetorical device. Two fingers down, just, uh, you know, the pointer and the middle finger and the thumb out. Uh, the typical rhetorical stance. You, Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. He says this, I consider myself fortunate that it's before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this I am accused by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? He's throwing this point out there um, that if, if you believe in the resurrection in, in general, why would you refuse to believe in a, a specific instance of that? Paul is, is showing, he's claiming the hope of his ancestors. This is, this is what I've, I've wanted, what, what our ancestors have always wanted. He's not wavering from the anticipation of the restoration of the people of Israel, right? The 12 tribes. I think it's beautiful the way he describes the hope of the 12 tribes. He's thinking about the slavery in Egypt and the, the kingship in, in Israel itself and all the tribes flourishing and then the, the separation and then the exile among the nations. And now he sees that this is our hope. For the Jewish people to see in the Messiah Jesus, in his resurrection, the new thing that is taking place. Maybe you remember in our story from, from Acts chapter 1, 6 through 8, the, the disciples asked the question of Jesus. It says this, so, so when they had come together, 
the resurrected Jesus and his disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, I just want to say this is a hope. This is the, this is the anticipation. This is the timeline that everybody's on. And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. Let's cover in that whole region of the 12 tribes and to the end of the earth. Right? Here, here we've got Jesus saying, I'm going to do this restoration. I think he's answering the question, the, the hope, the anticipation. When will all this take place? Well, I'm not, I'm not going to reveal the time to you, but, but it's going to begin. I think that's clear from this passage and clear from the story of Scripture. Right? Um, let me read that part again, and we'll keep going with the text. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They've known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews. Oh, King, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. You know, we're going to finish this speech next week, uh, which includes when he was met with Jesus and knocked off his horse blind. But, but to summarize, he's saying, this is my way of life. Everybody knows about it. And then I met Jesus. Paul's telling us what his life was like before he met Jesus. I doubt, I would say I know, none of us could come close to his story. He claims a clean conscience and an authentic, holistic worship of the Creator God through the traditions of the people of Israel. How can you have a clean conscience when you're murdering people? Well, his conscience was clean because he was going to protect the worship of Yahweh at all costs. And among the Jewish people, he had to clean them up. That was his heart because, because, of, because of Yahweh and, and because of our authentic worship of him. And now he finds that he's being fought against for this, this claim about Jesus being the hope of, of everything. Sometimes when he would be in an argument with this Jewish perspective, with those who wanted to rely on their traditional status, he said things like this. And this is to Philippians 3, 4 through 11. He writes this letter and says, If anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Okay, Paul, here it goes. Circumcised on the eighth day, okay, according to the numbers. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, 
as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Okay, but we know he didn't stay there. In a moment, confronted by Jesus on the throne, his worship was, was corrected, and he realized the error of his ways. He, had, he, had, he, he kind of promotes himself as being proud of this heritage, and I think that's because his conscience was clean. He stayed true to what he understood, but he's ready to leave all that behind. That's his resume, a point of connection with those who would accuse him that he didn't understand what they were going through. No, I get it. But then he says this in Philippians. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He threw your resume out. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake... I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. That's scubalon, that's dog doo-doo. I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith or allegiance to Jesus. That I may know him and the power of of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He's headed toward the same goal of history, which is our resurrection. Paul was consistent and authentic, consistently wrong and authentically wrong, painfully wrong, until an encounter with Jesus. Is that, is that your story? We have to be careful when we listen to Paul. We can get really excited about the dramatic story and forget that each of us has our own story. I've talked to some of you about your story and I've heard some concern that, well, my story just isn't dramatic. I was never a drug dealer or a pimp and I wasn't wandering in gross immorality. Others of you wish your story wasn't as dramatic. And some of those dramatic story people wish they had your story because... They remember all the hurts that they caused, the habits they carry, the, the hang-ups that persist. Hmm. Some of you have, have maybe always believed in, in Jesus, trusted in God, wanted his will for your life. And that grew and grew more sharply in clarity around Jesus as the Savior, Shepherd, Lover of your soul. Others weren't so consistent. They, you started in the faith, and then you wandered, and then you came back. Some of you didn't know Jesus at all, and you remember the date of your rescue like it was your birthday. Many of you are still wandering from God, waiting for something to draw you back. What, what are you waiting for again? Something just to draw you back. But many of you have never been trained to develop your story or even how to tell your story. And, and I think what we want to do is, is look at how Paul told his story. And I, I actually just want to help you develop yours. So make, make sure you get some paper out and we can take some notes. So how to tell your story. Let's look at what Paul did. Um, first point would be look for points of connection. Look for points of connection. You know, you're saying, oh, that, that's my background as well. Paul's making clear his strong commitment and loyalty to Judaism. 
you know, and, and you have the inside track, the credibility with people that I, I obviously don't because I don't know them. You are the subject matter expert on you. And as you engage with them, you're looking for points of connection. And the second thing would be to look for points of agreement. Look for points of agreement. You know, hey, I'm just like you. I long for the same things in our city, in our neighborhood. How can we put these things right? I, I want to see the same outcomes you want to see. I'm looking for agreement. He, you know, Paul would look for, hey, this is, this is, our, this is our heritage. This is our, our longing. We, we, we both have the same thing. So look for points of agreement. Most, most often we find people ready to fight, but, but look first for points of agreement. Three, look for ways to be humble. Look for ways to be humble. Now, I'm not proud of this, but that's part of my story as well. Maybe, maybe it's about your story and, and past behavior, you know, like I was confessing to be a deceiver as I was growing up. Uh, maybe you can, maybe you can make a, a connection in, in humility there. Or maybe it's, you know, I'm not proud of the behavior of all Christians. Paul's claiming to be a persecutor of the church, you know, and, and we can say, well, I think as a church, we've used violence and, and hatred to try to justify our story. And, and it's, it's, it's terrible, isn't it? And we can look for points of humility and ways to be humble so that we can engage people. We don't have to be proud of those things. Let me tell you one story. Um, I was in Marrakesh. Morocco and we're sitting down at a table and I'm practicing Arabic. I know very well that shukaran is thank you. Shukaran, shukaran. But we'd just been having a conversation. I was with my senior pastor at the time and he had been teaching about Philippians and that word that we translated rubbish, scubalon, dog doo-doo. And so here I am. I've got my nice uh, shake. It's got it's called a tricolor. It's French, you know, it's, it has strawberry, coconut, and, and avocado layers in this smoothie. And I was so excited. And I was practicing my, my language. Instead of shukaran, which means thank you, I accidentally said scubalon, <laughs> which would be Greek, would be unintelligible to them, but I basically called it rubbish, right? Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, trying, looking for ways to be humble. You know, when, you, when you're like me, you come up with lots of ways to be humble because you just say things, practicing things, and you just fall pretty flat. So looking for ways to be humble. Look for honest disagreement. Okay, I said look for agreement, ways to agree. Yeah, because we don't want to be always just offensive and pushy and pushy, but look for honest disagreement. Like, you know, I think I understand your argument. I think, let me tell you, let me... Let me express back to you what I think I heard you say. Let me get you correctly. You know, Paul is not setting up and then knocking down straw men. You know that idea? Like you take the worst points of their argument, stand it up, and then slam it down. No, Paul has heard the opposition, and he knows the story because he was the opposition. He can address their viewpoint without mocking it because he's really sought understanding because he comes from that perspective. Next time you're in a, a discussion with someone, ask them, can, can I try to repeat back to you what I've heard you say? It's a part of listening. It's a part of honoring that other person. But you can look for honest disagreement and then say, okay, I think this is what needs to be said in that moment. But it's honest. 
get me? Honest disagreement. The last thing, and, and there could be so many more, but the last thing that we see uh, in Paul's life here is to look to make Jesus the hero. If you're talking about telling your story, let's not have the story about how great you are. Paul's religious resume is nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Oh, Jesus is the hero. He says, whatever I gain, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. In fact, I consider everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Mm. If, if you don't know what Jesus has been doing in your life, ask him. If, if you're not aware of his heroic work, his rescuing work in your life, ask him. It's been a, a discipline for me over the last couple of weeks is to, to ask Jesus, how is it that you're rescuing me right now? How are you pulling me like a, like a lost lamb that's, that's among the rocks and you put me over your shoulder and you take me out of that spit? You're a shepherd of my soul and, I, and I, 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 I'm being rescued by you and just would you show me how you're rescuing me? And if you have been rescued or you're being rescued by Jesus, you're a child of God a member of God's family. And you can pray directly to and have fellowship with, spend time with God at any point. And, and you become an ambassador for Christ. Maybe your story, as we talked about, is one where you've always kind of known him. Well, what's he been doing lately? How can you explain that story? How can you tell that story of, of the recent ways that he's rescuing you as an ambassador for Christ? The, the commission that Jesus gave is to spread the gospel, teach others to obey all of God's ways. And so every believer, every member of the body of Christ is to contribute to the growth and the building up of the church. We're all called to share the announcement that Jesus is Lord and to tell our stories. So the next bit of training you know, how to tell your story, I wanted to give you, give you that, but also just what, what is your story? What is your story? When you do share your story, it's, it's good to organize your story around those three parts that we see that Paul did in, in Acts 26 here. One is before knowing Christ. Okay, this is how I lived. This is what my life was like before I believed in Christ. Or if you are uh, found Jesus at an early age and he found you, start with how, how Jesus found you. Oh, I grew up in this home that poured in the love of Jesus into my life and I grew up and I knew him. That's great. Like I said, so those were the dramatic uh, story or like, oh, I wish I would have known Jesus as a child. The second part is knowing Christ, how Jesus found me, how I recommitted my life or or rededicated my life to Jesus after an earlier awareness. I was baptized at age five. My grandma showed the gospel to me and I received that. But I think Jesus found me and engaged me in relationship with me at age 18. And so I have a moment in time where that was. So before knowing Christ, then how you came to know Christ, and then after knowing Christ, how your life has changed because of Jesus. Do you get that? It's just kind of a before and after. And what we want to do as a, as a people is just to craft your story intentionally so it connects with someone who's a, a pre-Christian and help them see how Jesus transformed your life. Okay, this is how we're going to do it. You, you maybe have your sheet of paper there. Okay, my life before Christ. Just start listing some key words. Man, I had struggles. I had brokenness, pain, 
these pursuits I was headed toward, these dysfunctions, this emptiness, this lostness. For me, it was deception. For me, it was hiddenness. For me, it was brokenness. It was chaos, all these things inside. How I came to know Christ. So you didn't, then you talk, how Jesus found me, what led me to put my trust in Jesus. And then what about how my life has changed after coming to Christ? Well, God's been transforming my brokenness, my pain, my emptiness. I'm finding connection with God Almighty. I'm knowing Christ. I'm, I'm able to pray and connect with God, right? You can, you can, you can talk about those different things. Um, and, and here, the, the key words that, that I want you to write down are like kind of bullet points, right? To describe who you were before you met Christ. So make a little chart. On, on one side, you have life before Christ and one life after Christ. And just write them down. You could be like, okay, I was addicted, had no purpose. I was lonely, empty, anxious, hopeless, angry, disconnected, abusive, abused, etc. And now to the right, how has that transformed? Or what's the process Jesus has taken you in? Sometimes it's not a complete move, but it's, it's less of this and more of this. So I was addicted, now I'm sober. I was empty, and now I'm filled. I had no purpose. Now I have meaning in life. I was alone, but now I belong to my church family. Do you see what we're doing here? We're creating connection points with your story. That was our first thing, points of connection with other people. When you hear their brokenness, when you hear the loss, the emptiness, the loneliness, you say, oh my gosh, that is my story too. That's my story too. I was broken. Do you have a minute I could share with you how I moved from brokenness on my path to wholeness? Do you have a second to so I could tell you about how I was addicted and now I've moved to sobriety? Do you have a moment to, to talk about how uh, I was uh, hidden and, and, and hiding my life and then now I'm, I'm more open and becoming more vulnerable and trusting? Do you, do you have a minute to talk about that? Do you see how points of connection, as you hear other people's stories, you can say, oh, do you, do you have a second? Could I tell you a story of, of what Jesus did in my life? And you can see how that goes. The more connection points you have and the more you practice this, the more you'll have opportunity to bring this into everyday conversation with people who are hurting, lost, broken, struggling, confused, dysfunctional, any of those things, you'll be able to do that. Okay, So, so work that list out and work that story out because those are your points of connection. Remember, we're looking for points of connection. We'll bring it back. Looking for points of agreement. Looking for ways to be humble. Yeah, that's, I've experienced that. That's my story too. Look for honest disagreement. If I hear you right, this is the situation you're coming from. I get that. I hear that. I hear that. Can I provide a little different perspective, right? An honest disagreement. And then look to make Jesus the hero. Not, our stories are not, well, I used to be kind of bad, but now I'm amazing. You know, I think Jesus was in there somewhere, but boy, I'm sure. No, no, no. Jesus is the hero. Your story is now, if you're a follower of Christ, is now part of his story. And he'll continue to write it. Isn't this great? If you stay close to Jesus and continue to tell your story, you'll never lack for a fresh insight into the way he's rescuing you.